Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the second KASB Live legislative update of the 2019 session. This is our first opportunity to come to you back from the beautiful KASB studio. We were live at our Advocacy in Action seminar last week on Thursday. Today, we are honored to start the program with a very special guest. Larry Campbell uh, is our state budget director. He's agreed to talk to us about Governor Kelly's budget proposals. Before you get into that, sir, you might just give a, a little bit of background for those of you that don't know you as well as some of us know you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I started with the legislature in '95 uh, and have been a was a Kansas State rep for 14 years. So I sat on that side of the table for a while. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked by Governor Collier to be the budget director, and then uh, was very fortunate to have been asked to continue that in that role uh, by Governor Kelly. And uh, my uh, background is 38 years in banking. And um, that's my background. I, I, I teach a little bit at some universities and um, have been budget director now for about a year. The, uh, the other thing we might notice, part one of kind of your, your last legislative role, I guess, was right. chairing the K-12 Education Budget Committee uh, as the legislature was working to respond to Gannon and uh, establish the formula, reestablish whatever you want to say and over that period of time. So we appreciate the opportunity to work with you then and for you to coming in today. So, Thank you. Thanks for the chance. Well, we're just going to turn it over to you. I will we'll tell folks we will be monitoring. You, you should have the uh, opportunity to ask questions from however you're viewing this. You can also text or email uh, social media. Myself, Scott Rothschild, or Rob Gilligan will all be monitoring if you have questions. Uh, so we welcome that. Um, of course, those of you that may be watching this uh, in a recorded version, certainly if you send questions to us, we'll be happy to try to get the answer as well. But why don't you dig in with where we are? Well, thank you. I came today prepared just to give a, a very brief overview of the entire budget, but then focus. I'll come back around and we'll focus on the details of K-12. Um, so the governor offered a budget uh, in a timely manner. She had 21 days to do that, but she did it immediately so that we could move on to get some resolution on the school finance. Uh, so it was important for her to get a budget in, and she worked hard over the, the, the break to get that done. Uh, the budget is structurally balanced in that uh, it it's rare, but it all, it's got more revenue coming in than expenditures going out. So it's structurally balanced, number one. Uh, there were no new taxes in the governor's uh, budget proposal. Uh, it paid off debt early, about $317 million of debt. She, it, we paid that off early. She's recommending that. Uh, that. That matters because it gains us the payment on that debt was $52 million over the next five years. So by paying it off early while we've got the money, that allows us the money in the uh, long term to, uh, to fund the things that are important. Uh, next, uh, you, you probably most of this audience, you, you savvy enough to have heard we've taken a lot of money out of KDOT over the years to make the budget work. Well, this is a reverse of that. We're actually putting $100 million more into KDOT uh, than uh, was was originally proposed, so she's putting 100 million back into KDOT. Um, the the budget that she offered provided significant additional resources to children and families and to health care expansion uh, for those uh, who are in dire need of it. Now, where that helps is we're very concerned. There's a, there's mental you know there's a lot of mental illness that we need to help folks, and uh, the expansion of Medicaid would do that. Um, the big thing in the budget, though, was ending the decades of uh, the K-12 litigation, finance litigation. 
Uh, and then in, uh, in addition, we're trying to shore up and um, it, it does gain us some, some short-term money by reamortizing capers, and I will address that in, thoroughly, but that's not the reason. It does gain us some short-term savings, but that is a long-term solution to stabilize it. Uh, and like I said, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail, but that is the budget in brief. Um, it's structurally balanced. It left some of the highest balances in the uh, in our accounts than we've had in 20 years. Uh, statutorily, we're supposed to be at a seven and a half percent ending balance, and um, the governor's proposal would have left a nine and a half percent ending balance for FY19 and a 9.1 percent ending balance for FY20. Uh, again, it's been 20 years since we've seen that kind of thing. Uh, so from a structural standpoint, the budget is, you know, we're, the governor is proud of it. She worked hard on it and is proud of it, and uh, it works. It, it all works. We're able to, we believe, in litigation, uh, stop the reverse, uh, stop the money coming out of KDOT uh, over time, uh, beef up our balances, and no tax increase. So that's the budget in a nutshell. Let me focus and, and now on K-12. Before you Please. turn, I might just say, and I should have said this at the outset, I apologize. Um, if, you, if you want to, um, I guess, read along or, or dig into this in more detail, if you go to the Kansas Budget Division website, mm -hmm. there's a pretty handy link to Governor's Budgets. If you go to that, you can see uh, the, uh, well, this would be the 2020 uh, budget and, and the overview that the director is presenting, as well as the actual hundred, many hundred-page budget documents are available. So if you want to be able to look at this and study yourself, it is all easily available. We've also provided some links through KSB. Great. Well, on, on K-12, uh, what the budget does is it, it adopted the recommendations that were offered by the Kansas State Board of Education, the number one. Number two, we simply took the Montoy Safe Harbor position through the legislative-approved FY2019 base, and then we used, starting in 2020, we used the inflation uh, rate that was outlined by the 2018 Supreme Court uh, opinion. So by doing that, it adds uh, roughly 90, 92 million a year over the next uh, quite a few years to get there. Uh, actually, 2023, sorry. And then after 2023, we, it, it depends on, it goes up by the Midwest CPI. And... Um, uh, that's what the budget uh, does as far as base. It puts uh, another $92 million over what was put in the last several years. And, uh, Mark, thanks for mentioning, as chair of the K-12 committee a couple years ago, we worked hard to increase the, the – we, we wanted to get out of litigation. Well, we think this does it. And um, next, what it does. So, and if I, if I may, and we're going we're gonna to try. We've been working on some visualizations, as we'll share you. But I think there's been so much confusion, it may be worth noting. Your, your discussion of that roughly $90 million a year, you know, a way of thinking about it is simply that you, you have some stair steps going up already. It's really kind of adding $90 million next year to what was expected. And then you continue to repeat that. It doesn't compound. I mean, in a sense, you have to continue to pay for it the next year. So at the end of this period of time, we would be roughly $360 million higher at the end of that period. But it, it isn't something that keeps compounding up. So, again, we're going to try to have a graph on that. There's been a lot of confusion around that. 
on board. What you know, in a sense, what you can think of. The, the inflation fix, some call it the Montoy Safe Harbor, really is increasing on an ongoing basis right. what has already been expended by about $90 million. Yep. So at the end of the four years, it's $90 million higher than it would have been, not $360 million higher than it would have been, only looking at, at previous law. So, again, we're going we're gonna to kind of have a chart to look at that, but I think that helps people understand. We, as we know, there are many ways you can count things. You right. can count them cumulatively. <laughs> you can count them the additions every year. So um, there's been a lot of confusion about that point, but, but the point is your, your budget document spells out the cost of getting to a base amount that the State Board of Education is recommending that they believe would follow the criteria that the Supreme Court laid out, which was basically to say what the legislature did in arriving at a number was was good. They really agreed with that, but they simply said if you're going to phase it in over four or five years, then you have to account for the inflation over the phase-in period. Correct. So that's yeah. really what the addition is. That's what the addition. Okay. You explained it so much better than I did. Well, I don't know. I've been doing it a lot, and I'm confused. And a lot of people are confused. Okay, so please continue. Thank you. Um, so for so for FY 2019, and that's the where we're in right now. The levels of funding recommended by the governor's proposal would be a Five hundred twenty-one million from all funds, or four hundred forty-eight point five million from the state general fund for FY twenty twenty through FY twenty twenty-three. Uh, how it ties into KDOT? Uh, about forty-five million would come from KDOT into the schools to uh, for transportation. Well, we're not taking that forty-five million, but we're we're replacing it into the schools by state general fund. So it's the same difference, but rather than take it from KDOT, it's supported by uh, state general fund dollars. The uh, recommendation fully funds the estimated state obligation for local option budget state aid each year from FY 2019 through 2023. And then um, one point that we made in the budget proposal and presentation that the governor is a, a, a very serious about is we asked the legislature to enact this plan by February the 28th. And that goal would give uh, the attorney general time to prepare what he needs to do uh, to go to the uh, Supreme Court. Um, the <clears throat> uh, so by so structurally, now this is kind of important. So structurally, we we have the budget, the state budget, but we pulled out the school finance part. It is in a separate bill that, uh, did it just go in? Okay, I looked at my, my, my partner here. Uh, it, the bill was just introduced into the House and the Senate yesterday. And uh, so that bill is a separate bill. So the legislature could, could work on that and enact the school portion quicker. Uh, and that was the intent. Uh, the governor's budget proposal uh, also uh, continues a pilot projects for the mental health intervention team and the juvenile transitional crisis center uh, in FY 2020. And the mental health intervention team is a collaboration between participating school districts and community mental health centers. The governor's plan also continues to uh, uh, pay for the Kansas uh, students to take the ACT or the work T keys test once uh, at no cost. Uh, additionally, there, we put in, uh, the governor put in $950,000 uh, state general funds for the uh, education superhighway. Uh, that 950000 allows us to draw down federal funds of $9.5 million. 
last year, uh, uh, Dale Dennis told me that about nine schools were able to get help this through this source. Well, this $950,000 the governor put in that gets us $9.5 million should help the 23, there's another identified 23 school districts that could use Internet broadband. And then um, as far as school districts, that's... One, one yeah. last point I'm not sure you made, but I, I had questions last week and I wasn't sure, and that is the special education continues, and this was kind of seen as the plan adopted last year, right. but you do fund through 2023, at least that's the document, um, seven mil, $7.5 million a year increases. So right. while it's unclear, that was not going to get us to 92%, but it is continuing to add some money to special education. Precisely. So that was something we weren't we weren't sure about last week. I wasn't yet, so I wanted to make that clear as well. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and give you the bill numbers, if that would help, if you're tracking it. But the, the education bill in the Senate is Senate Bill 44, and the uh, House bill for the education bill is uh, House Bill 2078. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're ready, I could, I could focus on capers. Unless, I, I know are, we're getting a lot of... <laughs> are we seeing any questions coming in? Okay, all about capers, okay, so good. let's see what we can do there. So um, what the governor is viewing this as a turnaround year. This is a year that we need to keep our revenues. We're, we're, we asked the legislature to um, show restraint allow the, the ship to stabilize for two to three years. So um, so part of the plan is we've got revenues coming in, finally, that are pretty good. Uh, and that's due to the tax repeal a couple years ago. But also part of the plan would be to, as I said earlier, pay off debt early, which saves us $52 million in debt payments over the next five years. But also then is to reamortize CAPERS. Uh, I know there's a lot of mis misinformation, a lot of being said about that. Um, here's the deal. It wasn't necessarily for the short-term gain we'd get, and but that is about 145 state general fund, 160 million in all funds. But it's the long-term stability is really why you would look at that. Uh, we've done the research. It is very common to reamortize. Uh, it's a good management tool, so that's not out of the ordinary. Uh, and in fact, uh, you look at reamortizing when you're nearer the end. Of, um, of a cycle. Well, the, cap the existing CAPERS plan started in 1943, 93, sorry, 1993 for 40 years. So we're at, we're near kind of that window of being at the end. So, so just the thought of reamortizing is nothing uh, new, and it's certainly not uh, out of reason. What it does for us is it stabilizes and makes the money uh, just to where we can come, we can meet the debt more likely. So here's case in point: the last several years, the state's not been able to meet the payments. It's that's it. They've not made the payments. They just keep layering it and adding it to the future. And what this do, would do is clean that up and allow us to uh, to put the funds in education, allow us to uh, not take so much from KDOT. Uh, there was a 2.5% uh, salary increase for all state employees, and um, it helps us to do those things. So the governor looked at this as this was the year to set priorities, deal with the things that uh, we needed to deal with, and then, for example, special ed, hopefully that comes, <laughs> hopefully right. more can be done down the, down, down the road. But um, we need to protect our revenues, 
And uh, the thing about capers, uh, for example, when I said we missed payments in 2017, uh, the legislature did not pay a $64 million payment. Well, that's basically reamortizing, and it, it's going to cost us $128 million just on that one delay. Then another payment was delayed in uh, FY19 last year uh, for $194 million that wasn't made. Well, that delay or that reamortization, whatever they call it, is going to cost us $388 million. So uh, this just takes... This just takes it and levels it out, and it's a management, it's a cash flow management system. There's no cuts. No, no retiree should worry about it. There's no cuts in this. Uh, there's no impact to your benefits. That's all there. Um, but that's part of the plan to, um, to do this. Now, we understand Capers Board uh, voted against it, and, uh, and they sh- that's probably what I would have done, honestly. But they're only looking at Capers. Uh, we're looking at the whole thing. Um, so I, we don't, uh, I mean, it's, it was as common that they would probably not, not necessarily embrace this wholeheartedly. However, they're not looking at the whole picture of the state. They're just looking after capers, which they should. Uh, but this doesn't weaken it. In our opinion, it makes it stronger because, because we can make the payments. So the way I look at it is this. Imagine you're sitting around the kitchen table at your home and you, you realize, uh-oh, i got to come up with money for my kid's education. I, I need to fix my car, uh, you know, roads. I need to get back and forth to work. How are we going to do that? And, oh, my goodness, by the way, we've not been able to pay some of the house payments. It is not uncommon to reamortize your home so you can do all of those things. That's what we're doing. Uh, the way, and, and I think we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but... but um I think Rob Gilligan, in some ways, maybe maybe made the easiest explanation I've heard. It, it, this is kind of like going from a 15-year mortgage to a 30-year mortgage. Correct. You've got you, you you could get it paid off sooner, but you're going to have to pay a higher price now. You can reamortize. It will cost you more over time. It's a more manageable payment now. So, to some extent, the question is: Well, what's the relative? What's the relative priority of those positions? I guess, in some ways, the difference is: While certainly one could argue that ideally the, it, we would be fully funded, we and that's what I think. I want to make sure I understand. Let's let's say this: okay. When we're talking kind of about re, reamortizing the debt. It's acknowledging that at this point in time, and this has been true since the caper system was really created, the the current assets and expected contributions and expected investment rate is not enough to pay off the projected benefits. That gap is the unfunded liability. Correct. Okay. And so and that we've had that for a long time. Part of the problem is we've kind of continually underfunded what was expected, what was scheduled. That schedule was based on paying things off in 2034. So when we talk about um, we we're a hundred million dollars below where we should be that should be is based on the assumptions to pay things off by 2034. What's interesting, and I didn't really think about this till last year, is of the $500 million or, you know, to give me the right number we're paying, the vast majority of that is, in effect, going to that unfunded liability. Right. But 
if in 2034, and that is all paid off, I think the assumptions are that those payments would drop by, you know, like a billion dollars. Yeah. I've said, that's the year you want to be in the legislature, right. Right? right? So I guess the question is, you know, is it does it make the most sense to say we want to put all of our focus on in kind of in one year, going from making all of our debt payment to the mortgage being paid off. I'm looking forward to that. But on the other hand, I'm going to retire. The state of Kansas isn't going to retire. It's going to continue to be in business. So the question is, would it make more sense to say, let's bring those down? That's obviously a debatable point. This is not a new idea. The question of when to do it or how much to do it would be true. But but we hope that kind of lets people understand that what this is really doing is saying, we're going to come up with a new schedule that then our lower payments will be perfectly legitimate, but it'll be a longer payoff period. And and in fact, there will be more interest to do that. It's just kind of a question of way, the, the benefit of paying less now for other priorities versus paying that particular, I guess, debt off early and not being able to do some of those other things. At least that's how, how I'm It's a prioritization. It. Yeah. That's okay. exactly it. Uh, and the thought was it's much better to reamortize than to continue on and keep skipping payments or layering payments. Uh, for example, they layer, uh, the legislature in 2017 layered payments, and I think our, our uh, CAPERS commitment was only $451 million. Well, in 2031, it goes to $922 million at on the current system. So the likelihood of having to skip payments, especially when the next recession comes, which it's not if, it's when, uh, is, is likely. We would rather structure it to where it's it's more doable and we can stay with, with making the payment and what you, what you said was exactly correct. One of the striking things, because this year the payment was not made, at least out of the state general fund. So for next year's budget, the budget you've adopted, the budget you're proposing, if there isn't a reamortization or adjustment, in other words, if we just make the schedule payment, the increase in CAPERS will be more than both the scheduled increase right. in the base state aid and the inflationary adjustment. Correct. So the, the it is a significant budget impact. Now, now again, let, let's let's be honest. This has been built up because we haven't been on schedule for a long time. For a long time. For, and, yeah. and I think, I think in fact, Executive Director Alan Conroy basically said maybe never because the, because when this was done in in uh, 92 uh, in the early 90s uh, uh, the, the system was not whole then there was a plan it was it was a, a significant benefit enhancement was done at that time and the idea is well that benefit enhancement would be paid for over time by gradually increasing the contribution and the problem is that contribution never caught up with what it needed to be yep. and the debt bill. So yep. so hopefully that helps. And again, we'll maybe take a few moments if anyone does have questions and want to try to reach us. We'll obviously be talking about this, but certainly this is something for our viewers. There is no doubt that as you start having your legislative coffees and, and your discussions this weekend and beyond, this is going to be a really big subject. We want to make sure you understand it. We want to make sure that um, you, you can talk intelligently. And, and certainly this is something that we know that your employees, the employee groups, are going to be uh, concerned about both ways. There really, though, is, in a sense, a trade-off, because to some extent, maybe not immediately, but in the long run, the ability to provide base 
funding, which right. is what current salaries are based on, is to some extent the trade-off to how quickly we do kind of reach our target under this system. And if I could, I, I do want to really be clear on something. It does stretch out the payments. It does uh, uh, stretch out when we become get hit that sweet spot of full funded uh, liability. However, that's all it does. I just want to be real clear. It, it In our view, it stabilizes and makes uh, the system stronger. It for sure has nothing to do with uh, cuts, it, retirees' cuts are an, an impact on their benefits. That is intact. The system is strong. All we're talking about basically is do you reamortize your mortgage and stretch it out another 15 year because you have to or not? That's the debate. And it, it, it makes it all work. We're able to get the uh, state employee increase. We're able to add the $90 million over the next several years for K, uh, K-12. We're able to stop the funding coming out of KDOT. It, there's a lot of good, it, but it's a good debate. Let's say it that way. <laughs> well, we, we love those. So looking around at our studio audience, do we have a question? Well, there was a question about how much more will the reamortization cost the state yeah. by the state do you want to? Oh, I, I didn't know yeah. if they heard that. The, the oh, uh, good, good point. The question was, what would be? Thank you. The question you've clearly done this before. <laughs> what, what would be? What is the cost to the state of the extension out going forward? Well, and, and it's big. It's a staggering number. But please, you got to put it in perspective. Uh, if you'd buy a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home, you would end up paying about five hundred thousand. It's it's almost double uh, at the end. And and it, that's a sticker shock for people who come in and as a lender and they come in and say, well, I want a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home. How much am I paying in 30 years? You're paying about 500. Well, this 6.6 billion that we're re- suggesting you reamortize is going to cost seven billion dollars. It could end up being more if we keep layering and delaying payments. So I know it's a big number, but um, if someone could promise that we'd never ever delay a payment, which has not been the track record, if we'd never ever delay another payment might not have considered this, but it makes sense at this point in time. Well, and the other thing I think we just have to to uh, all acknowledge, for whatever all the policy choices, tax policy and everything else that happened, a big part of the reason that CAPERS payments were delayed in recent years is to uh, not make deeper cuts in in, uh, in spending, including K-12 education, which is half the budget. So yeah. that that really is the, the dilemma. We've The situation has gotten worse because we've missed payments. We've already been doing that to some extent because we, we felt we couldn't afford them within existing resources. The state budget position has changed pretty dramatically, both as a result of uh, repealing most but not not all of the income tax cuts, a somewhat stronger state economy. Some of those things are out there. So, Mr. Director, I don't know what else you have. I don't. Do you want to say just kind of maybe at the end, any thoughts on some of the tax policies? You know, we've heard discussions of the sales tax on food. We've heard discussion on the federal windfall. We've heard discussions on the uh, out-of-state sales. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about those later, but... um, Thank What's you. the administration uh, believe about that? Well, thank you. There is a, there is there's a, something that's in the the economic environment right now that's concerning. There are tax cuts being proposed. We've we have uh, asked that they not be, uh, and uh, the reason why is this: we are still very much in a uh, what I would call a perfect storm of uncertainty. 
So we, no one can give you a good number on what those tax cuts will be, and that's the ho- the whole point. We need to we need to stabilize. There's been there were significant federal uh, tax policy done a few years ago. Then the state tax policy changed a few years ago. We need a few more years to see exactly the impact of that. Uh, so we're shooting in the dark by uh, cutting the revenue. We we're, we're asking that we hold the revenue for a few more years. Okay. I'm not seeing anything else. Okay. Well, what we're going to do? Let's let's thank uh, thank Mr. Campbell, still rep, still Mr. Chairman, to me for the most part. <laughs> um, what we're going to do is, uh, I think, take a short break. We're going to bring up a Kansans Can video for you to watch while we rearrange a little bit. Thank you very much. We'll hopefully have you back. Maybe we'll have you back at the end of the session to tell us how it all turned out, <laughs> or if it all goes to pieces in the middle of the session, we may bring you in. But thank be, you very I'd much. I'd be honored. Thank okay, you. Okay. Thank you. Wait just a second, we'll let. The number one thing that will make us thrive in Kansas. Hello, I think we're back. Um, (laughs) Hope you enjoyed that video featuring Dr. Cindy Lane, who, of course, has just been named the chair of a new education uh, task force appointed by Governor Kelly. They'll have his first meeting next week. Before Rob joins us, he's going to help me run a couple of slides just to show you some visualizations that KSB has put together to try to talk about some of the school finance issues in a little bit of context. If you want to put the first one up, we're, we're going to show you the whole chart. I know you can't read that. We're going to allow you to zoom in, I think. But what we're going to do is just kind of tell you what we've done here. Um, th- this is an effort to visualize. Thanks. Um, this kind of lets you maybe read it a little bit better. What we've done is taken the information from uh, the governor's budget recommendation and tried to let you see how much of current school funding has already been approved. Rob, I don't know if there's any way you can adjust that so they can see the full numbers on the right side by chance. A little bit more, maybe. Okay, never mind. Oh, that was my bad snip. I guess I'll have to remember that. So what we've tried to do, that when, when, and we will be posting this or including this today in my blog, but these are these are uh, these bar columns. The first one, which is basically in green, shows the actual amount of state aid that was provided in general state aid special education aid and local option budget state aid in 1992 in the dark green. And then we added how much it would have to be to adjust that for inflation all the way to 2023. Now, to do that, we have to make some assumptions. So we're assuming that the inflation rate in 2019, 20, and 21 will be what the consensus revenue estimate estimation was, which was 2.3%, and then we assume 2% in 2022 and 2023. So that means to get back to that same level, we would need to be at almost $4,600. The next, the next series of lines of stacked columns show you the different components of state aid. When you look at the full chart, if you start at the bottom, that is what the state provides. Uh, the state appropriates for base state aid. There's a kind of a, a, a somewhat lighter blue column you see there, which is the 20 mills and other local revenue. 
There's two even lighter blue years that was state highway fund money that the budget director talked about. And then this shows uh, kind of a yellow bar for four years. That That's $45 million that was coming from the highway fund that would have to be replaced by the state. Uh, then you can see in orange uh, is special education state aid and in dark red. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think the first one is, I'm looking at an old version. We have LOB state aid and special education state aid. Finally, at the top, where you see the $92 million rising to about $108 million, that is what the governor is recommending as essentially new school funding. As you can see, when you look at this, when you get to 2023 under the governor's budget, it is still actually about $100 million short of the adjusted inflation amount. But remember, we're making kind of some, some assumptions about inflation that's actually a little higher. The, the state board's plan assumes that inflation would be 1.44%. We're thinking it would be a little bit higher, but the court did seem to indicate it would accept that, and the plaintiffs would accept that. So what we're trying to just show here is that... Number one, much of this increase has already been appropriated. The only part that is new are the parts in yellow, and a portion of that is basically replacing state highway fund, which the legislature would not have to do. That's a choice they could make. And the goal is just to show how this gets us closer uh, to the uh, to that kind of target number of 2009. And the reason that's the number is that's kind of the agreed upon last year that the legislature had constitutionally suitable funding as approved by the court and and accepted by the legislature. That's really the target amount that the legislature proposed it would try to meet. The court said that's fine, but then you have to account for the inflation that will occur during the phase-in, and that's really what the additional money provided. So I'm going to just take a moment to see whether there are any other um, any other questions on this, um, feel free to bring them to us. This is something, again, we will be posting soon. We're still kind of double-checking our numbers. We'll be using it to try to talk to legislators. Um, and this is simply, you know, what, basically what this means is if you don't add the, the money for the adjustment, what you really wouldn't be putting in, is the top line yellow. So, Scott, any, any comments on no, that? No, I just I, I think this is a, a great uh, attempt to try to explain a pretty difficult concept because there were a lot of questions in the House uh, K-12 Budget Committee uh, that, uh, that were directed toward this very thing. And, and I think what it, you know, the bottom line is it shows you, it kind of gets you in the ballpark of inflation. Right. It doesn't I, I, get you exactly there. And so in, in, in a sense, what this means that if, if this was the agreed upon settlement level, it, it's really likely to cost the state a little bit less mm -hmm. than actually getting back to that number. Again, this, these are making some assumptions. So if inflation would be lower over the next four or five years, uh, then, then those numbers would look different. And, and, and all of these are, of course, these estimates also make certain estimates about uh, enrollment that could right. change and bring it up or down. And in your your research, and I think I'm saying this right, is that when, when funding is is at inflation or a little above, we see uh, better per, better performances in student we, we We tend to because when inflation, when, when we are somewhat above inflation, it allows districts to have r more real money, not just more inflated money, more 
real dollars to provide new services or lower class sizes or, or do those other things. Let's go to the next slide. And this is simply, instead of breaking down by different components, this represents um, the total of your school district general fund, your special education aid, and your total, I'm saying you as school district, local option budget, not, not just state aid. This is really your operating budget in those three big buckets of money. Now, that does not include CAPERS. It does not include bond payments. It doesn't include capital outlay. It doesn't include federal money. It doesn't include food service. But in terms of basically your state and local operating money, this is not adjusted for inflation. And so I think what you can kind of see is things were pretty flat in the early 2000s. The monitor decision in 2005 led to about a, a billion dollar increase through 2009. Things essentially were flat until 2017 and then in response to Montoy. And if this is funded, and this basically would include the inflationary adjustment, would take us all the way up to about $5 billion. But if you go to the next slide, Rob, and our final slide, this then adjusts it to inflation. And here I think it shows very clearly that we were actually kind of beginning to trend down in the early 2000s before Montoy. The Montoy adjustment was more in you know, real increase. But between 2009 and 2017, total school budgets were actually falling behind inflation consistently. This is what districts live through. This is, why, this is why positions were cut. This is why Kansas teacher salaries fell behind inflation in the national average, because in fact, we were not keeping up. With, with basic costs. And in fact, school district costs really tend to be more than inflation because they're heavily weighted to salaries, uh, to, to, uh, to construction costs and things like that, which would not be in here. But just a way of noting, inflation is really a measure of household costs. And then you can see that starting with the increases, although there does a movement up beginning in 2018 from 2017, we still don't quite get toward 2009. And that's the point we're making, that this increase that the legislature has approved and that the governor's recommendation would add a little bit more to is really simply trying to restore back to the levels we were at at the end of 2000. Uh, when you compare and adjust for inflation. So we certainly welcome questions on this. These charts were included in a Tallman Educational Report blog that is already posted on our website. The other document we'll put in for that. So we would welcome you to try to send us questions if you can. We're monitoring this, but at this point, I'll let Rob pull these charts down if he's ready and then join us at the table and we'll finish our last few things we need to talk about. Well, uh, while he's doing that... It, 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 I guess every school teacher would tell you that during this period, uh, the the, uh, the the needs of the students has increased, and our funding basically has has been pretty flat. I think that's right. Uh, what, what, what we've seen is although Kansas has made some improvement in graduation rates over this period of time, uh, we're, we're concerned about how we compare to the rest of the country. Our state test scores um, have really been declining, um, although we, we, you know, the, the NAEP scores were dropping during the first part of this period. So very much not the kind of improving educational results that we had been getting uh, in, the, in the 2000s and, and a few years after that. Um, there's always a feeling there's some delay, both going up and going down, and that appears to have been borne out. Um, I think what we may want to do, we, we uh, I think, talked a lot about the CAPERS amortization issue. I just asked my colleagues if there's anything else you want to add to our discussion with the budget director. 
No, I think I think we did a great job, and, and certainly uh, Larry kind of did a great job of explaining it. And you talked about it's it, it is a plan to reamortize. We are our conversation that we'd had with uh, Executive Director uh, Conroy earlier in the week. We're at about 67, 68 uh, percent funded liability. A real goal would be to be at about 80 million. I guess in a dream world, maybe we wouldn't reamortize for a few more years, but. Uh, Unless the legislature really wants to consider some other additional revenue streams, um, the the cost of doing business for the state is not going to go down in the near future, and they're going to have to find some way to make sure that they can control it. These last two years, these next steps, they you know, I, I think we've all known for the last five years it was probably a pipe dream that they were going to be able to do a two hundred million dollar increase in one year, um, and then grow up to nine hundred some million dollars a yep. year in the next set five years. So, the governor's making a proposal that says let's let's make that more manageable. Scott, any comments? Well, just uh, I think uh, uh, Budget Director Campbell pretty much laid out there. There's a lot of moving pieces on this chessboard, and and uh, reamortization is one of them. I mean, paying back the. Uh, the pooled money, investment board money. I mean, that's that's a big deal. So, so you know, if you if you do this, you need to do that. And I think those are the kind of decisions the legislature is going to have to come up with. Well, let's talk briefly about another piece on the chessboard, and that is that is the tax side. Um, uh, Senate President Susan Wagle has appointed a new select committee um, uh, to work on really one issue only, and that is how Kansas responds to federal tax changes, changes the federal tax code that are having an impact on Kansas. Um, there, there will be uh, hearings this week in the Select Committee on Federal Tax Code Implementation. Um, Rob, can you kind of share with us what what's happening there and, and some of the complexities that that group may face? Sure. The, while there's certainly some big conversations going on on some other tax-related issues, the, we've talked before about the, the global uh, return taxes. We've talked about repatriation taxes and, and discussions of how we handle that. The real focus, the real big issue, the real dollar issue uh, to the budget is the concept of decoupling state personal income tax returns from the federal. So under current Kansas law, if you claim individualized deductions on the federal level, you can do that on the state level. If you take the standard deduction on the federal level, then you must take the standard deduction on the state level. It got complicated in December of 2017 when the federal government passed their new tax laws and effectively doubled the standard deduction on the federal level. We went to $12,000 standard deduction for an individual and $24,000 for a couple. That is a significant gap between what Kansas currently allows, which I believe is 3,600 individual and 7,500 uh, for a couple, or and I, somewhere and I, around that. And I just heard something, I don't know if you've heard this, but the presentation of the tax committee that um, uh, we, about 25% of Americans previously itemized Correct. because their their uh, deductions were higher. Uh, that is expected to drop to about 10%. Yeah. So I, I don't really know why many people would need to buy tax preparation software anymore in some ways because 90% of folks are not going to need to really do much. But 
How does that? Why is this an issue? Why is this an issue for Kansas? So why it's an issue for Kansas, of course, is that if we do decouple from that, that would allow anybody that, that makes over Kansas standard deduction to go ahead and decide to itemize their tax deductions. This could cost Kansas, they're estimating, somewhere between 80 and $120 million a year in revenue. So... Some would see this as a windfall. These would, some of these individuals are individuals that wouldn't have had to pay taxes under previous law that now would be t- paying some taxes on that because they'd fall into this other area. Uh, some see this as just the, the results of the effective change. Uh, there's always been a little bit of gap between individuals that are claiming Kansas standard deduction and federal standard deduction. We haven't always matched up with the feds, at least not since about 2012. But we've also not allowed deductions under current years when we made changes in 2012, as Budget Director Campbell said. So it becomes a little bit confusing and difficult. And to really calculate what that impact is short term versus long term, we were in a phase back in period of of standard deductions. They were supposed to phase in over the next three years. This would obviously make them all go back to 100 percent right away. And there's some, some, some real conversation. One of the other complicating factors that I think is important is uh, the Department of Revenue is not really staffed or prepared to do the analysis and the work of of separating or decoupling standardized or itemized deductions. So since we were always partnered with the feds, we also kind of assumed the feds would audit those itemized deductions and, and perform the, the due diligence of making sure that they were, they were good claims. So Kansas never had to do that. We currently don't have the staffing at the Department of Revenue to pick up that new responsibility if we wanted to have somebody to check this. So there could be an additional cost involved for the state of Kansas if we add this decoupling. And that's the conversation that the House has begun this past week and, and will begin to work through. It's a complicated issue, and, and there's, there's valid arguments on both sides. Of course, my understanding is right now there's also no staff at the IRS uh, generally working because they're one of the shutdown departments. So this, this may be a great year to claim all the deductions, exemptions, and anything else uh, that you might want. I think politically, here's where we are. Last year, the the Senate actually had passed a bill that was designed to decouple and 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 give back the windfall is 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 how it's being phrased. Or again, I've I've learned no matter what term you use, somebody doesn't think it's the right term. So that's the Senate's position that almost passed the House. It failed very narrowly on the last day. So the Senate, I think, is taking the position. Look, we've we've already decided what our position is, uh, and so one would one would expect that's going to pass the House. The problem that you know, the Senate was ready to do, and we really had very little idea what the impact would be. I think the House tax discussions are much more around saying, well, what are the possible unintended consequences? But I think it's significant to note that let's just say that number is in the 80 to $90 million range, which is what the Department of Revenue is kind of talking about now. That is almost exactly the amount of the additional money for schools that is being proposed. Now, once again, we're a long way from not having enough money. We have a 9% inning balance, but over the long term, that would be reduction, a permanent reduction in the resources available uh, for this 
this sort of stair-stepping increase in school funding that has already been opposed, and we'd stair-step like one more step up uh, as a result of the uh, inflationary adjustment. Um, I, I, will, I will say probably one of the things that will be most interesting to watch is the, there, there's an obvious divide on, on, the, on the individuals and the groups that are pushing for this. There are multiple other tax bills that are already bubbling up, a, a recurrence of tax bills that had kind of gotten bundled together at the end of last session and kind of came down with this as as this being really the issue that drove the tax bill to, right. to fail in the House. So you've got um, four different counties that are asking for permission to do a sales tax uh, election. Those, of course, could be and probably will be bundled into the overall bill because it may garner some additional sure. votes. Uh, you've got some uh, some additional work for some rural opportunity zones for certain counties uh, in the area that may be bundled in once again in an attempt to get some additional votes. The one difference here this year, which will be different for us to watch politically, is in the past, a more conservative push only had to worry about 63 votes because they just had to get it out of the chambers. The governor's office was supportive of. The governor's indicated non-support for this, right. not indicated whether or not she would veto a bill if it's passed and sent to her, but most likely to, to meet the demands and needs of the budget proposed, she would probably have to consider a veto, which means it's a different number that they have to get to. Now it's not just the 63 and 21. The conservative leadership has to be able to find that two-thirds majority, which I'm not even confident they'd be able to do in the Senate. So so that is something we will be watching. This is one of those things that a lot of talk about wanting to resolve this early as well. Um, we'll have to see whether that happens. Um, Scott, we've got a little bit of time left. Another big thing that got focus this past week and is going to continue are discussions of child welfare, mental health issues. What are we hearing about that? Well, <clears throat> there's been a lot of work uh, during the interim uh, session on uh, child welfare and uh, mental health. Uh, obviously, uh, our uh, uh, mental health problems among young people is going up, uh, according to all the surveys. Uh, there were a lot of problems at uh, the Kansas Department for Families and, uh, and Children uh, about uh, kids getting lost in the system and, and you know kids sleeping in offices because they couldn't find proper services for them. So the committees, uh, the, the education committees, the child service committees, they've all been looking at these reports and they've been kind of diving into it. So I think you know, we're going to see a lot of uh, movement on that. There's, there's calls for more school psychologists, more uh, counselors, more social workers. So I think those are all going to be discussed uh, quite a bit during the session and probably some action taken. The governor also has a lot of money in her budget uh, uh, committed to these uh, kinds of uh, efforts. Yeah, and that's another area where, again, those moving parts, um, how, much, uh, how, how much money is available um, for uh, beefing up child welfare, uh, foster care supports, those sorts of things. Uh, how much money is available to process um, medical applications, uh, mm -hmm. the whole issue of can care being out there, the sense that can care expansion might help on the mental health side. But we're also hearing now that the shortage of mental health professionals that are now going to schools because right. schools have the money. You know, and then, of course, as Director Campbell said, the governor does propose continued funding but not expanded funding for the mental health task force. Of course, 
additional school funding is something that could provide more additional resources uh, for districts to do that. And, and that mental health intervention program, the, the pilot project, has, has been getting pretty good reviews from right. school officials. Yeah, that they, they were giving their reports this week, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, whether that will whether there'll be any new legislation coming out of that, we'll have to see. Rob, why don't you talk, if you can, just kind of briefly about, uh, again, kind of related to the issue of available staff, uh, the uh, special ed audit, uh, which is also being rolled out. Sure, you bet. We uh, remember back in, in December, the special ed, uh, the legislative post audit delivered their special ed audit, which is part of the schedule of annual audits that was part of the school finance bill. So 2018's audit was on special education. That was delivered in November or December. I will point you out to the YouTube page. You can see a conversation that I was able to have with Heidi Zimmerman on this right. if you want further detail. But uh, this week, LPA has delivered that report and, and updated both the Senate and the House side and the education committees on that. And the findings really to most of us in the education world aren't aren't uh, aren't unique right they they find that the liability of the state to meet its 92 percent statutory requirement has not been met and they find that in effect there could be an additional 100 to 300 million dollars in special ed needed costs if our special ed staffing were at more appropriate levels decreasing the number of pairs we have working and increasing the number of teachers so Based on their research, their analysis, and interacting with professionals in special ed and districts, they came up with a model and a formula, and they said special ed costs could actually be 100 to $300 million higher per year than they currently are, and, and they are currently underfunded at the level they are funded there. So that liability to the state could theoretically be even more so than it is. Their recommendations were twofold. Either the state meet its statutory requirements and fund us at 92%, or change the statute and decrease that number, which makes sense because ultimately they're a nonpartisan binary issue. They just say, hey, here's the law. You're technically not meeting it. Right. So you either need to change the law or make an effort to meet it. Um, and they don't have an opinion either way. They're just saying, right. here's the reality of the picture. So I think, again, as you're talking with your local legislators, understand that you know that it's possible the legislature will make an effort to do that. Whether that practically makes an effort, a difference, I don't know. We haven't met the target, but at least it is a target out there. And as we've indicated, it appears that even if they were meeting that target, uh, th th that would be short of what it would really take to do to do the job we'd like to do. But again, if there aren't, we know special ed teachers are all, always one of the biggest shortage areas uh, that we have to start with. So, well, I think that is about going to wrap it up for us this week. Again, other than the hearings on the tax bill in the Senate, which again, uh, we, we probably know everyone knows their part and knows what they're going to say. Uh, there have not been really any other major bills scheduled or really even introduced yet this year. We're still in the early weeks. So next week, we would anticipate having probably a longer list of some new legislation in place that may be coming up for you to be aware of. Might also note that our colleague Leah Flighter is not with us. She's on her way to Washington, D.C. for the National School Board Association's lobby event. Um, so she'll be coming back next week, no doubt, with a lot of reports on uh, federal issues and, and the, the growing concern that the federal shutdown might affect more than 
IRS payments and, and traffic controllers. It could ultimately have implications for school lunch programs and other things. So um, stay tuned on that. So we will expect uh, to be back uh, next week at this time, 1230 Friday. We would just note, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, our, our team is now doing a, a, a nightly or late afternoonly uh, wrap-up from the Capitol, just a video Facebook Live wrap-up. Uh, that's a good way to catch information if you want to do it that way. Um, we also, of course, continue to do our news briefs. We welcome all your feedback, all your questions, and we hope you can join us again next week. Thank you. Uh, yeah, someone said things are...